This is the Dare to Dream Physician Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Waylee Gray. Hey, you know how many physicians today are feeling overwhelmed and trapped living that busy and unfulfilling life? Yet more than ever, we as physicians are keenly aware that life is precious and tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. My mission is to help physicians start living their best life now by discovering and achieving their wildest travel dreams. So come, join us on this journey. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dare to Dream Physician podcast. I'm so excited today to bring our guest. Her name is Dr. Dawn Sears, and she's a board-certified gastroenterologist, hepatologist, a leader in healthcare, and the founder and CEO of Gut Girl MD. She's an executive coach. She just wears many, many hats, and she has many passions, and I can't wait for her to share her story and for her to share just her wealth of experience and wisdom with us today. So welcome. Welcome, Dawn. Thank you so much, Whaley. Thank you for having me here. It's been so exciting because we've been on our journeys parallel in the last year of uh, doing things with EntreeMD, doing things with Leverage and Growth, and here we are. So it's just so much fun to celebrate our victories together and our transitions together. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Yeah. There's so many things that I I can't wait for you to share with our audience. One of the things that really interested me Mm -hmm. when, when I'm following your social media posts is you recently made a big transition in your career. And Mm -hmm. during that transition, you did something that I am always very interested in, which is you took a sabbatical, you took some time off. And so why, why don't you share a little bit of that with us Mm -hmm. and, and just maybe a little bit of the journey beforehand and how you Mm -hmm. decided to make this transition? Yeah, thanks so much for pointing that out. It has been such a a wonderful thing to make happen. You dream about it. You fantasize about it on any random Thursday as you're looking at your notes or staring out the window. You're like, wouldn't it be amazing to just take a walk, to just go out to eat, to sleep in tomorrow? We all fantasize about that. And after uh, making it through the first year of COVID that we did, and after making the decision that medicine was sucking the dear life out of me, and I was feeling myself growing a cancer, I was feeling myself slowly dying, I was feeling that I had given it all up and I couldn't do it anymore, and knowing I had to make several changes I made a lot of plans so that I could take a sabbatical and I knew I wanted to take at least a hundred days off and it ended up being 106. So it was perfect. And I made the transition and made the ability to have the sabbatical between two jobs, my job of 23 years, and then my new job that was four days a week and a little bit more uh, palatable schedule uh, and a little bit more authentic to to what I want to be doing at this stage of my life. I've already done all the things. I was the chief. I was the program director. I did all the publications, wrote all the grants. I trained, you know, just a ton of amazing fellows, residents, medical students, trained at nurse practitioners, PAs, had the leadership roles throughout the hospital. I was on all the things. I was at the board of directors. I was uh, on another board of directors. 
I'd been there, done that, and I wanted something new. And so I needed some time to have clarity and some time to really explore what that was going to look like if I was going to design my dream life. And in order to do that, I had to step away completely and I had to give myself a big block of time. So that meant I changed my spending habits. I moved into a smaller house. I started saving and I had enough savings that if I wanted to extend the sabbatical for much longer and triple it, I could have done that. And so being in control of the finances, so I never felt pressure of, oh my gosh, I need to get back to work now, or I'm not going to have you know food on the table or shoes to wear or whatever. So it took some planning. I was very deliberate. And then I had to get coached on what I was going to do with my time. So I hired a personal coach and we talked about what are you going to do with this one and only beautiful life you have? And then having the end sight in mind and going backwards. So through that time that I had off, I got my certification as an executive coach. I did lots of coaching myself. I did sleep in. I read about 30 books, half on audiobook and half on paper. I went out to lunch with girlfriends. I dreamed, I created, I started a couple LLCs. I started making YouTube videos. I started putting uh, things out there in social media. And then I wanted to recreate the favorite part of my career, which was putting women leaders in medicine conferences together. And I wanted to be able to do it again on the other side. And Mm. that's where I am right now. So it's been a beautiful thing. Wow. I, that's, that's amazing. I, I'm just in awe as you're describing this, you're, you're just listing all your accomplishments. Oh yeah, it's this and this and this. And I'm thinking, first of all, she looks way too young. And, and, and the other thing I'm thinking is I I was imagining this sabbatical and it sounds like you were, you, you, you didn't do medicine, but you were quite busy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But as busy as I wanted to be, and I had control over my days, which was dramatically different as all of you that are still in medicine know every single minute of your day is scheduled. You're supposed to be doing a procedure. You're supposed to be in the OR. You're supposed to be teaching. You're supposed to be seeing patients. You're supposed to be dictating. You're supposed to be doing something. But to know that my calendar, my days were my choice was the first time in my life I had never had that middle school, high school, college, all the side jobs, residency, fellowship. And then even for um, my pregnancy, my first one was in residency. I had four weeks off. My second one's fellowship. I had four weeks off. My third one was in as a senior staff. So I had, woo, six weeks off. Let's get crazy. And so to actually take time off for not a medical need and for a mental, spiritual, holistic need of what do I need to design my future was the best investment of my time. And knowing that I was getting some education along the way, then I don't feel like I'm being a sloth or a loser or a bum. But believe me, there was plenty of sleeping in. There was plenty of sitting in my bed until 10 o'clock, just reading books in my bed. And I felt no guilt about it at all because I know I put in my, my time for decades. And so I didn't feel bad about it, but it was fascinating because I knew that one of my goals was to learn how to rest. I had never learned to rest. I had been in a um, serious accident in 2018, a motor vehicle accident where I was hit by a drunk driver. And so I had the insomnia that a lot of people have with concussions. So that was my first time with meditation and actually capturing my, my thoughts and my brain and turning it down. 
but I had to learn a different way of resting when you actually have the carved out time to get creative and to think and just to be and to not feel that constant pressure that those of us physicians and physician mamas feel that I've got to be doing something, got to be doing something. I should be doing three things. I should be listening to a podcast while I'm emptying the the dishwasher and talking to my child. You can't certainly just do one thing. Mm -hmm. And I learned to just be present and just do one thing. And then it wasn't just okay, but it was glorious Mm -hmm. because then I could have mind space and power to actually envision what I wanted and not just go through the motions anymore. So everything changed, everything became real, but that first month was hard to learn how to rest and to hit Mm. the pause button and to give myself grace and patience. But by the second month, I had it figured out. And by the third month, I was like, yeah, I I know how to rest. I know how to just be. And then when I went back into work, it was much, much more calm. I didn't feel frazzled, even as COVID was, Delta surge was just reappearing. And I was like, dang it, I, I you guys were going to take care of this while I was in timeout. I come back and what have you done to the house? And I'm like, mm-hmm. ah. and it, it all worked out, obviously, mm-hmm. as we're going into the next variant now, but mm-hmm. we're getting smarter. I am so fascinated by your story. I, and I, I think a lot of physicians can resonate with what you just described is, you know, the life of an overachiever, the life of a, a very productive person. And I, I'm amazed that as you describe all those things that were on your plate, you said that you basically had this for 26 years. I mean, Mm -hmm. tell me a little Mm -hmm. bit more about that. What made it, what, what happened in the 26 year that got you to start to think about transitioning to something else, or it got you to realize that, wait, this I'm doing the motions. I, I want to do something else. I want to get my dream life. And I want to know what that looks like. You know, what sparked that? Mm, So many things, right? Medicine's been pretty hard in the last five years. It's not what it used to be. Um, We've seen it transition to a business. We've seen us be transitioned to being a commodity. And we've seen us be from being leaders and respected in society and in the hospital walls to being replaceable. And um, we never thought that was going to be possible. And as COVID was hitting and the reality that all of us are replaceable, whether it's just dying on the job any random Tuesday or them not feeling like they wanted our services or whatever, I said, wait a second, what am I doing? Maybe I should reevaluate what I want to do with this chapter two of my life. You know, I've already succeeded in meeting all the things And the ladder we're given is a ladder for a certain demographic. And we've made it fit for us women, female, mamas, and breadwinners, and taking care of the elderly. And we've made it work, but it hasn't served us well. And so part of my charge has been, we need to talk about there's another way to set us up for success. As I'm watching so many of my female colleagues either quit, go part-time, or get so burnt out, they go into depressions, start using too much alcohol or actually taking their lives. What? And the system is what is driving all of this behavior. So we need to start having hard discussions about the system. So it became obvious my passion was to continue to talk about changes we need to make to the system, that we need to acknowledge 
women are going to get pregnant. This isn't a shocker. Oh my gosh, it's a cancer. No, we we knew that that was possible because 85% of us do. We know that women are going to have miscarriages. We know that women are going to have a mammogram and we know that 10% of them will be abnormal and they will have bots. All of this stuff isn't new information. And when you look at genders, when you look at insurance for car insurance, health insurance, There's different rates depending on gender and risk factors, but then we treat all female and male physicians and their benefits the same. Wait, what? Why would we do that when we know that the woman's experience is going to be different, but we put on her the same RBU pressure and we don't give her the extra time off for her medical needs that are going to come up. All of these things are hard discussions. And I'm at a place I I got nothing. I am, I've already got my retirement. I'm fine. I can get out there and start having harder conversations and help empower other women with their voices to start having harder conversations and push back a little bit and say, Hey, have we really thought about how that hospitalist policy where they're on every other week, how that's going to work with maternity leave for Mm. the 60% of hospitalists we've hired that are female. And then knowing that, that 50% of our hires will be female and knowing that it costs the same to train us in medical school residency and fellowship. But when we leave, it still is going to cost the institution $500,000 to a million dollars to replace us. So why don't we set us all up for success and start to creatively think, creatively problem solve. And so that was part of me getting out of the system is being able to have a little bit more of that brain space to, to think about solutions and not just tolerating it and not just surviving, but actually helping come up with a system that'll help us thrive uh, for longevity for our daughters. Yeah. I, I love that. And, and that actually also brings up another, another question that I I'm dying to ask you about, <laughs> which is I I've seen your Kevin MD article about mm-hmm. starting a women's leadership conference from scratch at your, yeah. at your previous institution. And I'm just so fascinated by that because as you are talking about the the challenges that are meeting physicians, I I was thinking, well, wait, but she's in the leadership position. So she still felt those things. And so I'm really curious about, you know, one is your views on physician leadership. And then also, how did you start this conference for women leaders just out of nowhere? That's so amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating how I ended up in leadership was through my hatred of sodas. I hated sodas. And no matter who I was talking to, whether it was a patient with fatty liver disease or reflux, or it was one of my kids' uh, parents, I can't understand why I can't lose this weight or whatever. I was always talking about sodas. So I wanted the sodas out of the hospital. In order to do that, I had to get the power player's attention. And so what I did is I put together this group called the 10 Most Wanted. And I told the executive guys, specifically went after the men, the CEOs, and all the leaders. And I said, I'm going to give you all your MBA, your mind, body, and activity. So I played off of all the things that they wanted to hear about. And so this group of the 10 of us, we hired a trainer, we wrote down everything they ate, all this kind of stuff. And we all trained together for a half marathon. You trained the administrators? <laughs> Wow. And so we, we all ran a half marathon together, which was amazing. And so at the end of the day, end of this six month adventure that I took them all on, some of them against their will. And one of them practically crawled across the table and said, Don, I don't run. You're never going to make me run. Years later, when you interviewed John Boyd, the CEO of our children's uh, hospital, you say, John, what do you do for fun? He's I run marathons. I love it. And so who knew? So we started a madness thing there. 
But anyway, at the end of the day, the, the sodas were gone. All of the Grand Rounds lunches now had to be 50% fruits and vegetables. And so we got the key players to get it. I needed them to experience well-being and to know that these choices, if we make it and their level of leadership, that they could, they could change everything that we do. And so it worked and they saw, oh my gosh, Dawn is a servant leader. She's got no skin in the game. She's not trying to get anything other than keep us around so that, because we lost a bunch of us, lost a bunch of our participants, lost diabetes. They lost high blood pressure. They, all their meds went down 50%. It was amazing because they lost together 300 pounds. We did lose a knee and we lost a gallbladder, but that's okay. We won't talk too much about that. So it was a lot of fun. So anyway, I started being asked to get on all these leadership positions. Oh, we've got this committee. Let's put Dawn on it. We've got this. Let's put Dawn on. I never took any leadership courses in my life, you know, and when they have all these leadership things in high school and college, I'm like, I'm not a leader. I'm just, I'm just staying out of trouble and doing my thing. Well, I ended up being a leader. And then, so I went through the Macomb School of Business and the SMU School, little mini MBA programs. And I got a lot more support, a lot more encouragement. I got nominated for all these national women leadership opportunities. So I said, oh my gosh, I cannot keep this to myself. I have to give it to everybody. And then meanwhile, I'm climbing all these leadership ladders and people are asking me, Dawn, we've hired a new pulmonologist. Will you be her mentor? We hired a new rheumatologist. Will you be your mentor? And I'm like, whoa, I got three kids at home. I got nine fellows. I got 13 docs. I got nine APPs. No. I said, how about all my colleagues? All of you are good to be mentors too. They're like, well, we didn't take a mentor class. We don't have a mentor certificate. I'm like, girl, have you lived? Yes. You've been doing this for 15 years. You're a mentor. So what we did is we took 10 of us. We took the angry surgeon, the sweet pediatrician, the burnt out pathologist. We sat around a room and we said, let's pick a date and let's find a speaker. We're going to talk about impression management, bragging about yourself in a way that's acceptable for women and negotiations. Ask for what you're worth. So we picked these two topics we did the conference in October, 2017. Well, October these are 2017. all women. These these people that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So we put it out there and we put it out to all 400 women physicians in the entire uh, system. Oh, wow. And um, then a couple of weeks later, my administrator called me and said, where do we cap it? I said, what do you mean? She said, 85 people have signed up. I'm like, what? And I was like, well, I guess we'll cap wow. it at hundred. I don't know. Wow. So this happens in October, 2017. Well, me too happened in October, 2017. Well, none of us saw that coming because our meeting was in July. We didn't know this was going to happen. So at this meeting, I had asked the entire board of directors, mostly men, asked all the chairs, mostly men, if they would provide the wine for the after the conference uh, wine reception. And they looked around the room and went, this is where all the future leaders are. We thought y'all were busy, like at PTAs and soccer games. And oops, we we missed the mark. Now we see it. After that, sky was the limit. The women were starting to get up there. They were interacting with people they wouldn't normally interact with. A grant came out from the Physicians Foundation, and now I already had the data. I was being data-driven the whole time with lots of surveys pre and post because I'm a scientist, I'm a researcher. I can't help myself, but collect all the data and prove it. And knowing in leadership and being at all the board of directors, I know that nothing drives anything without data and metrics. So I was already collecting that preemptively. I can't just say, I've got this nice program, please support it. No, they want to know how many. Um, so I wrote the grant and then we went with the Maslach Vernon Index, all the things. And we got the $150,000 to do a 
two-year longitudinal study following 400 physicians. Uh, ultimately, there were over a thousand that participated either by taking the surveys and some of them uh, actually came to the programs. And so at the end of the day, we were able to show we moved the metrics for engagement, burnout, and retention. All the things administration cares about. This simple program of getting together every six months just to bond, just to hear the stories, just to acknowledge each other. Oh, yes. And get some leadership and skill building. But it was really the storytelling. It was really the bonding that moved the needle because we also had coffee tops going on and we had virtual stuff going on and we had resources on website. And we asked each of them, which one had the most impact for you, your life, burnout? And it was no doubt about it. It was those in-person every six months meetings that impacted these, these, these women physicians. And at the end of every meeting, there were one or two that was always weeping in the back saying, I thought I needed to quit. I thought I couldn't do this anymore. And for the first time I've been seen and I know I can do this. And I know that I can have control of my life again. And so when you do that and you see the impact that you've made, You can't help but want to do it again and do it again and do it again. So we did that for all five or six conferences and uh, the feedback was universally positive other than when are you going to do it again? When are you going to do it again? When are you going to do it again? And so when I left the institution, I knew that I, this was my calling. This is my passion. This is the reason I get up in the morning. Anybody can remove a polyp or cure hep C, but not everybody can empower these people to know that they can have control of their life. And so I wanted more tools. So I got my training as an executive coach and I spent time with lots of life coach school trained coaches. And I also did the Christian medical dental society. I'm in Texas. And so that's my culture down here. And so having all three of those and now being able to coach women, physicians, and specifically women leaders, leadership's lonely, no matter what, and then add the component of being a female leader. And it's real lonely. So I'm able to be there to be a sounding board for them, be a safe space for them, let them get creative, let them get silly, let them get angry. I am okay. And so it's been great to be in that space and get them uh, empowered to continue to move us in healthcare in the right direction. That is absolutely amazing. That's, I just love, love everything you said. I, I, I'm, I'm still thinking about the the Dr. Sears that you described about, I'm just keeping my head down, doing my work, doing what I'm supposed to. And then there was just this one thing that really bothered you and you had no leadership aspirations at that time. You were just really annoyed with soda or trying to inspire people to be healthier. And Mm -hmm. I, that is such an amazing story. Tell me when in that journey, did you start seeing yourself as a leader? Mm, That's a great question. I think it's when you turn around and see a bunch of people following you, despite whether you do or don't have a title, you go, oh, I'm leading. Oops. How did that happen? Maybe I should gain some skills so I don't mess this up because it's a privilege to be a leader. And so when the opportunity started blossoming for skill development, I was hungry for it and said, Mm. absolutely, I'm your girl. Yes, I will go to that thing. Yes, I will go to that conference. Yes. And so it was, I I was doing a lot of yesing 
at that Mm. time to build myself up at the same time as having three kids, including a child with a lot of special needs and other medical needs. So the balancing act, the circus music was going and doing the best I could. And then having to also build support from each other, other physicians, mostly men, because that's the culture I'm around that would support me and go, oh, that's interesting. But it also started highlighting the great divide from what the life I lead versus someone else. And so I was asked to introduce the Women Leaders in Medicine Conference at a a national meeting in front of a lot of the C-suite leaders of 20 of the biggest programs in the United States. It was a very exclusive group. And the organizer said, well, tell me about sexual harassment. Have you been sexually harassed? I'm like, that's like asking if I breathe. I'm like, what do you mean? Have I been sexually harassed? Of course. She's like, well, is that common? I'm like, oh my gosh, it's it's epidemic in medicine. Are you kidding me? And so she said, well, you have to talk about that. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I'll talk about women in leadership, but I'm not touching that. And she said, Dawn, if you don't touch that, that's like talking about burnout, but not talking about suicide. You have to talk about it. And I was like, oh. And so I had to go in deep and get the data, which of course we've all seen the data and it's horrible. There's no place that's worse in the STEM world than medicine, as far as gender discrimination, sexual harassment, not tech, not computers, not engineering. It is medicine that far outweighs them all. And then being able to share my personal stories that people would be horrified when I started saying, you know, when I introduced a patient and they said, wait, Dawn is your name. Well, where's the other med student named Dust? Y'all make a great stripper team. And you go, okay, are we going to talk about the patient in 523 or not? And then going to national conferences and having, being the only woman in the room in gastroenterology and having the guy put his hand on my thigh after I just showed him pictures of my kid and he showed me pictures of his kid and saying, I'd really love to have drinks with you tonight, Don. I'm here to learn about fatty liver disease like that. And then wow. me actually being stalked by this guy and then changing my behavior. So I no longer went to those breakout sessions and I no longer brought home that information for my patients. And for me to stand on the stage of Grand Rounds and share the reality of what I have experienced in my 23 years as a physician, that this is regular behavior. And even last week, one of my patients insisted on calling me Dawn the whole time. And I'm like, I'm almost 50. What do I need for you to call me Dr. Sears? So I never asked to have to be the spokesperson for this, but when I did, all the people who would come up to me afterwards, it would be a line, you know, what it would look like 20 women who wanted to go, Oh my gosh, I have been there girl. And thank you for giving us a voice. Thank you for, for resonating it. And so many of the men would be shocked. So then I was asked to do this uh, talk in multiple other places. Then I remember distinctly an older white male coming up to me and said, I hated your talk, which means I needed to hear it. Thank you for being here. I will do better. Have a safe trip home. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, you're welcome. But opening up these discussions in a respectful way that I'm not taking anything from the other gender, but can we just have dignity and respect? And can we acknowledge that we have not been treated well? And can we all make a commitment to stop this behavior and call it out when we see it? and not introduce her as Jamie, but she is Dr. Smith, just like we introduced Kirk as Dr. Clark and not 
just Kirk. So having all these important discussions now as, you know, there's something magical when you're turning 50, you're like, I'm going to tell it like it is. And so I've just put it, put it out there. And then I'm empowering the younger generation to say, these are not taboo topics anymore. It's okay to call out your senior mentor advisor or your attending when he says something inappropriate to you and say, Hey, let's, let's not, let's not have this conversation like this. Can we go a different route and empowering women to stand up for themselves and just for their dignity and respect, no, no special treatment needed necessarily. Wow. I'm so grateful that Dr. Sears reached out to me to come on the podcast and share all these experiences that she had in her amazing career. And I can't wait to see what she does next. And we are going to talk more in detail about this in next week's episode. So make sure you stay tuned and listen in next week. But just to give you a preview, she and two other physicians are putting out a conference. It's the first annual ACE Conference for Women Physicians, and ACE stands for three of my favorite characteristics, which is authenticity, courage, and empowerment. And the name of the conference is Renew Your Life and Your Career. It takes place in San Antonio, Texas at a beautiful resort, and it will be April 28th to May 1st of 2022 this year. Head over to the website AuthenticPhysicians.com and check it out. Dr. Sears has a proven track record of putting out amazing life-changing conferences, I hope you'll consider attending. See you next week. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend and go on your favorite podcast app to give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps us to get the word out there. Also, I am really excited to announce I've started a online Facebook community for physicians. Go and search for Dare to Dream Physician Travel. That's the name of the Facebook group. If you have trouble finding us, the link is also in the show notes. I hope to see you on the inside.